0: Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. If you're using the the Bibles under the seats, it's uh, in uh, page 810, verses 31 and 35 out of Matthew 5. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is God's word. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you that it um, addresses us and teaches us. Um, across every sphere of life. Um, thank you that uh, we have the, the whole of your word. Um, Lord, we, we really do rejoice in that. Um, we truly, in this moment, um, find opportunity to, to exalt your name, um, to, to enjoy your grace, in your mercy towards us, um, that you have given us um, the whole counsel of God, um, that we have a sufficient Word, um, and that we may know, we may know who you are, um, and we we may know who who we are, um, and we may also know um, the gap that exists between who you are and who we are, um, and we may also know how the gap between you and us has been closed. Um, because of your son Jesus, um, and we knew we know that through um, the miracle um, and the and the grace of of the scriptures, and so we thank you for our time this morning. I pray that you would comfort us um, I pray that you would um, speak through me um, and also speak through our hearing um, of what your word says and we pray these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. you may think it 's uh, some sort of sick joke that we 're in this text today on Father's Day, right? Um, the coffee tastes a little bit better today, though, right? I, I, think, it's, I think it's because of the bacon. It's, the bacon. it's the bacon. So maybe we should do bacon. I brought bacon up here. So um, feel free. There's more bacon out there. Feel free to help yourself. Um, I'm going to eat this piece real quick. Well, um, we, need to be, we need to be clear on something, just, just to kind of cut to the chase here. We need to be clear on something uh, this morning before we even dive in um, to this. God's vision for the flourishing of humanity um, and the dignity of humanity is eternally and considerably higher than ours. And so, whatever high views we have, we think we have, and some some of us have high views, and praise God for that. God's view is is higher. God's view is better. God's view is more full and thorough, and he sees everything, and he sees all the complexities and all the, the things that are out there, and yet his view never diminishes of what he has ordained and what he has put in place. And so today, Jesus addresses in our text the topic of divorce. Um, and he, he iterates his ethic and his view of the covenant of marriage. And so in an effort to kind of create some common ground or acknowledge some common ground, really, there's not a single one of us in here, not a single, I, I, maybe I'm wrong. And if I am, raise your hand. I, I, I'm actually inviting you to please raise your hand because... Uh, you, you may be a unicorn, but there's not a single one of us in here who in some way has not been affected by divorce. Um, and so for me, it was, uh, for me, it's it's both sides of grandparents. Um, it's all of my uncles and aunts on both sides. I mean, every single one. Um, by God's grace, my parents, um, their marriage, uh, they've been married now for, uh, man, I'm, I'm really bad at math, but almost... 50 years, uh, my parents have, have been. So in an effort to kind of create some common ground, there's not a single one of us in here who have not been affected by, by this. But what's important to know, a couple of things. First and foremost, is that marriage is one of God's most glorious depictions and plans for his glory being displayed in all the world, um, as well as for the good and the enjoyment of his people. And so we must acknowledge something very important about this. And so today, um, I am going to kind of spend some time in some other texts beyond this one. Uh, We're we're going to walk through this text in Matthew chapter 5 and study it. And I really think that what's in it is is pretty interesting. Um, And so we're going to walk through that. But we're also going to start in a place that is not exactly in this text, but is really just a, a high up view of a view of marriage, because here's the deal. The most important thing in your life and the most important thing in your salvation is not what you believe about divorce. Um, it's not what you know about it. Um, it's, it's about what Christ has done. Um, it's about what Christ has accomplished for us is the most important thing. Uh, but I think when it comes to this topic of marriage and divorce, um, maybe As important, if not more, of a of a good grounding on divorce is having a good grounding of just what marriage is, Um, and so we need we need to understand what God's view of marriage is, um, and then we'll begin to understand a little bit more of what Jesus' teaching on divorce is, Um, and so to 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 really set a foundation um, is is this is this fact again is that marriage is one of God's most glorious depictions and plans for his glory being displayed in the world, as well as for the good and enjoyment of his people, and that God's vision and God's way is the way. God's design is the design and the way. And so this topic, as I said, is not a topic that one would typically choose to address on Father's Day. Um, in fact, even on a day other than Father's Day, it would be just as easy to avoid, if I, if I could just say that. It would be just as easy to avoid that, but it's not for us to study some parts of God's word and to ignore others, and addressing this on this particular day is is really just kind of the result and the outcome of our hope um, here to preach through books of the Bible. We're just preaching through books of the Bible, and so please hear me, church family. Um, I know most of you, and you and most of you know me on a very deep and personal level. Um, We've, we've walked life together, we've, we've been through things together, you've walked through things with me, I've walked through things with you, and so I need to be really clear on something and I, and I need you to believe me, and, and hopefully our, our past and our history will make it a little bit easier to believe me. It is not my hope in any way nor my goal to put shame or to compound pain or trauma that any of us have in this room in regards to this subject. It's not. It's, it's not that. My simple hope and my simple goal is to be faithful to the teaching of God's word. And I hope that that, that will build maybe even some trust in us knowing um, that, that, hey, we're not gonna shy away from hard things. And when we address hard things, we, we're going to acknowledge again, as we've prayed specifically, intentionally for this morning, we're gonna rejoice in the whole counsel of the word of God. Um, that we have a, a, a whole book Um, that that this teaching today is not the only thing that Jesus has to say on this topic, that that this is not the only thing that Jesus has to say on marriage. This is not the only thing that Jesus has to say on kingdom living. Um, And so it is not my goal nor my hope, um, by God's grace, to heap any kind of shame. But here's what a text like this can show us, that the gospel of Jesus and our following of Jesus touches and affects every area of our life. there is not an area of your life that the gospel doesn't touch. And so Sundays are a real easy time to let the gospel touch, right? Sundays are an easy time for us in our lives to allow the gospel to kind of have all sorts of implications for. What's hard for is is Monday through Saturday. In fact, there was this really wacky, wonky, old, um, probably Baptist hymn, Um, And I wouldn't even call it a hymn. I would call it some rambling that said something like, um, ain't it a shame to lie on Sunday when you've got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday to lie. That's a really weird song to sing. That's the gospel not affecting every area of our life. But what this text teaches us and and, and and what other texts like it teach us is that the gospel touches every single area of our life, our private life, our work life, our home life, whatever that may be. Another thing that this kind of text will tell us is that God is kind and gracious to us in making clear what his will is in order that we might glorify him. Hey, you wanna know what God's will for your life is? We've got a book, we've got the Bible, we've got the scriptures, and he's gracious in giving that to us. And all of his ways are good, all of his ways are for our, our good and for his glory and that's what we can rest on this morning. And so because of the gospel, the moments when we feel crushed under the weight of our own sin, because of the gospel, we have hope and redemption, not only for all of eternity, but for today. Your salvation, your, your, your redemption as children of God, we have to understand this church family is not only for eternity, it's for now. And so if, so if you've prayed to receive Christ and you're, you know, the only effect and implication that it has on your life is, hey, I just know when I die, I'm going to heaven. Hey, the gospel has an impact today on everything around us. So we're going to jump into this text. We're going to ponder and we're going to study what Jesus is declaring and aiming at in it. And so, like I said, our main text today is Matthew 5, 31, and 32. But we'll also rely much on Jesus is teaching on this topic in Matthew 19. So if you want to put like a bookmark there, we'll kind of go there a little bit. Um, and then we're, we're also kind of look at Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. And so let's read this um, and let's seek to understand if, if it's okay, I'd love to pray again for us. Father, um, help us today to be comforted by um, the truth of, of, of who you are. Um, and the truth of what Christ, your son, has done for us. Um, Help us to be um, comforted today by the ministry of the Spirit that dwells within all those who are children of God. Um, The Holy Spirit Spirit is is in the the minds and the souls of everyone who believes in you. And so the, the role of the Spirit, Lord, we acknowledge in this place is to comfort, um, the role of the Spirit may be to convict, uh, is also to convict. Um, but we also know that even in that conviction, we have comfort because the Spirit's going to minister to us in those times of conviction. And so, Lord, help us to, to seek understanding this morning. Uh, help us to love one another well and um, to, to be faithful to your word this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Verse 31 of Matthew 5 It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now, what we've established and what we will continue to remind ourselves of weekly throughout Jesus' sermon, especially through these, this section in Matthew chapter five, is that in these six topics of Matthew chapter five, Jesus is addressing a, the common misinterpretation and the common misapplication of the religious leaders to the people they were teaching. And so there was a group of people called the Pharisees. They were the Jewish religious leaders. There were scribes and and all these people teaching the the people of God, the laws of God. And what Jesus is addressing here and what he's correcting is not the law. He's not correcting the law because who who gave the law? God. Jesus is not correcting his father here. Um, Jesus and the father are one. And so what Jesus is correcting here is a misapplication, a misinterpretation, intentional or unintentional, we don't really know, of the Pharisees. And so these religious leaders had essentially sought the bare minimum when it came to honoring God. They looked at the letter of the law. This is what this is what is written down in the law of, of Moses. And so as long as we don't sleep with another woman, as long as we don't kill someone, then I am keeping the law of God. I can look at whoever I want. Um, I can be angry at whoever I want. I can give a certificate to, to my wife. And as long as I'm obeying that letter of the law, then I am not guilty of adultery. I'm not guilty of murder, I'm not guilty of all these things. And Jesus comes in and establishes in this chapter that the law this is important for us, because he's, he's speaking to the Pharisees, but it also applies to the way that we understand and obey God. When, when it comes to the law, the law never was, and nev- and nor is it now, about external behavior control. It's not about just leaning out the outside. It's not about just, just mindlessly obeying the law. No, it is about an inner transformation of our heart and an inner transformation of a renewed mind. And so really what Jesus does here, as fun as it is to kind of see him, he's not really in this text, he's teaching his disciples, but we'll see in Matthew 19, he really goes after the Pharisees. As fun as it is to kind of see Jesus go after the Pharisees, Jesus is kind of exposing us here as well. Because how often are we, are, are, are we guilty of the same thing? Kind of just doing the right things without the right heart. And Jesus is kind of addressing that. And so in this text, Jesus addresses a particular view on divorce that had pervaded Jewish culture and life. And so based on what we read in Matthew 19 and Deuteronomy 24, most simply put, it seems that the common practice and the false interpretation of the law had become that a man could divorce his wife and send her away for pretty much any reason he came up with. Um, that Because of the, the letter of the Mosaic law included this part about sending a, a, a wife away with a certificate of divorce, the Pharisees interpreted this as they're out. And so this is what they, they come to Jesus with in Matthew 19. They, they ask him, uh, they, they, let's just go there. If, uh, some of you have your fingers there, Matthew 19. It says the Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? We'll get to some more of that in just a little bit. But essentially, a man didn't like his wife's cooking. Send her away with a certificate of divorce. He's got that permission. He's got that, that out to give her a certificate of divorce. He didn't like the way that she looked. Maybe she was in a bad mood that day. He could send her away with a certificate of divorce. So they had come to deduct so, so maybe some of us are asking, why is this even in the law? Why would Moses have said this? I've got the same question as the Pharisees have. I've got the same question as, as these people. To be honest with you, we don't know all of the answers to this. We don't know all of the answers. Remember, Matthew 5 and Matthew 19 are not the only places where Jesus addresses marriage and his view of marriage. And so we don't know all the answers to the questions that this text Raises for us, but let me step over here. So this is my, this is my, uh, this is my safe circle. Okay, this is my safe place. All right, it's twenty twenty two. We all need a safe space, right? This is my safe space for me to step over here and say, "Hey, I'm going to talk for a little bit, um, and I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bring up some things that are not explicitly found here, explicitly." Um, I'm, so I'm gonna step over, I need to take this, okay? Is that okay? Um, I'm gonna step over here and I'm going to, 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 to make clear that what I'm about to say is not explicitly found in the Bible, but seems to be um, a pretty safe and general consensus of a considerable amount of cultural and historical sources. Um, and, and it's just simply this statement. I, I don't think any of us will have a, a problem with this statement. Divorce for a woman, especially in this time, was absolutely devastating, just in this culture and in, in history, divorce, especially in this time, was absolutely devastating for a woman. In a culture where where women were were really already mistreated and devalued, a divorced woman may have been viewed as damaged goods. And so, so divorce to her was was devastating. She may, because of divorce, she may be further mistreated further used, further abused, and maybe even impoverished because she relied on the stability that her husband brought to her. She relied big time on that. And we kind of, have, we kind of see that in, in these days, but in no way to the degree and to the level that they would have found in those days. And so this idea of a certificate of divorce in Deuteronomy chapter 24 was, as Jesus said in Matthew 19, was not so much a, a permission or a or a or a command for divorce, um, rather, and this is a really important word, rather a concession. So some of you kids hear that concession, like concession. That's where I get my snow cones at after the ball game. Not that kind of concession. This was this as Jesus says in Matthew 19. When they ask him, then why does Moses command to give a certificate of divorce if this is not part of the law? And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, no, it's because of your hardness of heart that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And so really what Jesus is saying here is, listen, this was never a command for divorce. It was not really even an out for divorce. What it was was that the the sinfulness and the wickedness of man had become so strong that this this certificate of divorce was almost a way to, to protect a vulnerable woman from just a laxadaisical divorce, and so Moses, the, the, in the law, realized this is a problem. Men are doing this, and 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 for whatever reason, they're sending their wives away. And so, if this is going to happen, then let's put some sort of boundaries around it. And here's the deal: I don't fully understand that that reasoning. I don't fully understand that logic. That's I don't disagree with it because it's in the Bible, but. It is hard to understand. Why wouldn't God have just fixed it rather than give a concession? But what this shows us is that the sinfulness of man is deep. And what this shows us that what is being discussed here is not because of an unloving, ungracious um, God, but because of, a, because of a sinful humanity. And so what this certificate of divorce may also have served was a way for the woman to, to essentially have something that, that documented and stated that she was not sent away because of adultery, but essentially because of abandonment. And so again, this, a, a divorced woman would have gone back out into the culture and would have gone out back out into to trying to reacclimate. And, and, and they would have seen her without her husband and assumed she's an adulterous woman. And what this certificate of divorce may have done was would have been her way of saying, may have, again, safe circle over here, safe circle right here, what this certificate of divorce may have been was this woman's way to say, hey, listen, this was not because of adultery. My husband signed right here and, and, and is telling everyone it was, it, was, it was my doing that sent her away. And so really what this is, seems to be is, is actually a, a protection for this woman. And so in a way, the certificate of divorce seemed to be the law's way for, for a man to be faced, to admit fault for being the one to break the marriage. Because again, if it was adultery, the law made provision for how to deal with someone in adultery. This is a different sermon for a different day, but Deuteronomy 22, 22 talks about she would be stoned. Even a man, an adulterous man would also be stoned. And so this certificate of divorce was was a way for the man to be faced with the the fault for being the one to break the marriage. And so here's what's going on here that I think we've got some pretty good ground to stand on. What the Pharisees had done is they had taken this concession. They had seen what Moses wrote in the law and they understood it as part of the Mosaic law and obeyed the command to give the certificate of divorce. Thus, we're faithful. We're, see, we're, we're faithful. We're law followers. We're law abiders because we gave the certificate of divorce. And so they understood the law on this matter as their path to no fault guilt-free divorce. And Jesus here says, not so fast. Jesus here in Matthew 5, let's read 31 again. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Verse 32, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus seems to be instructing primarily his disciples in Matthew 5. So, so, so these followers of Jesus had at least in some way heard the teaching of those religious leaders and Jesus is coming into his followers and saying, hey, you've heard a lot of really bad teaching. You've heard a lot of really bad preaching. Like a lot of you in here have heard a lot of bad preaching, right? Um, you've heard a lot of bad preaching. Let me correct and let me tell you what is really meant by God in his law here. And so Jesus is instructing primarily his disciples in Matthew 5. And in Matthew, Matthew 19, the Pharisees would have would have taken some offense to this notion. They would, they would have, I could see them coming to Jesus saying, Hold up, Jesus, the, the law says this. And I think deep down they would have known. The law says this. We've been, we've been faithful to the law, and Jesus says, listen. Kind of like this is what we did last week. This is this is important. Remember last week we kind of broke down the in the area of lust into three categories: creation, the image of God, and human sexuality. And we talked about how those three things right there are seem to be multiple uh, areas in the scriptures seems to be kind of the the nail in the coffin argument for certain topics. So, so when it comes to divorce, look at, look at what Jesus, how he answers this question in Matthew 19. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Look what Jesus does here. As we said last week, and we tried to establish, and I said this will be important for the next two weeks, Jesus appeals to what? He appeals to creation. He, he kind of, goes back before the Mosaic law. He goes back before the time of Moses, back before the time of Abraham. And he says, okay, you wanna understand this thing about marriage and about this topic of divorce? Then let's go all the way back to the beginning. This is what Jesus answered in verse four. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother And hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so Jesus, on this topic, appeals to the created order. He's kind of like last week. I I never thought I'd bring this back up, but kind of like last week. I'll take a bite of bacon here. Kind of like last week. We talked about the importance of places like Romans 1 and the sufficiency and the authority of places like Leviticus and 1 Corinthians. When it comes to God's ideal, I should not have taken my that bacon. Um, <laughs> when it comes to God's ideal for human sexuality, creation, and the image of God, we talked about the significance and the importance of those and that, and that, and that those fundamentally support the Christian orthodox traditional view of marriage and humanity. But at the same time, the tactic that Jesus seems to take and the tactic that Paul seems to take, they're not saying this. I'm, I'm the one kind of saying this. The tactic they seem to take is almost like, we don't really need those passages of scripture to, 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 um, to prove that God's design for marriage goes all the way back to creation. And so yes, those texts, they, they, they in no way impede our view of those things. But remember what Paul does and what Jesus does. When they wanna drive a fact home, they just say, open the first two pages of the Bible. Open the first two pages. You wanna know what God's idea is? Let's not get caught in the Greek. Let's not get y'all all all, all caught and wound up in in the Greek language, in the original language. Let's just go back to the first two pages of scripture. And that's the tactic that Jesus takes here. He goes back before the law. He goes back before the fathers. And he says, look at the way the sovereign God of the universe created and intended things. And so when Jesus says what he says here, he, he puts these men, these Pharisees in Matthew 19 in the category of adultery and it would have taken them a little bit by surprise. They were only trying to be, to be faithful to obeying the literal writing of the Mosaic Law, weren't they? You guys, you guys ever tell your kids to do something, and you know they—I I, don't—I'm trying to think of an example. You're already like, yeah, I've told my kids to do something, but but maybe you 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 tell them something, and you have a you have an intended meaning, and that intended meaning is is really not that unclear even. So you got one side, it's like, okay, if you have an intended meeting, and it's really unclear, then you probably need to clear that up. <laughs> but, but maybe you have an intended meeting and it's really not that unclear and your, your children find a way to obey you up to a certain point, but they, they don't obey or submit to what it is exactly that you're telling them. And so that's kind of where the plate, this place where the Pharisees are in this, in this spot. The place where the Pharisees are is saying, we obeyed the command of God, the letter of it, perfectly. And, and Jesus, as these Pharisees were minding their own business, Jesus comes in and totally just starts blowing up their idols, starts blowing up their ideas. And so my guess is that they would have been blindsided by this teaching of Jesus. I would venture to say that their reaction might be the same reaction that many of us feel when we read what Jesus says here, Right? Instead of instead of let me let me kind of just teach, speak to us from a from kind of like a shepherd standpoint, pastor, like because I know stories in this room. I know that again, this is does not uh, this is this 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 applies to a lot of us. Um, we've we've all experienced. And so let me just say something. Instead of viewing this as Jesus being restrictive or even fundamental. I believe that we, the way that we ought to view this is Jesus preserving and protecting what is so deeply beautiful in the kingdom of God, and that's marriage. Um, what's, what's really important for us with a text like this is, again, to acknowledge, as, as I've already said today, is that this is not the only place where marriage is addressed. Um, Genesis 2.24 Jesus quotes it in Matthew 19. Um, Ephesians, which is where I want us to go right now. So everybody, Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five. Part of, part of our, our healthy view of this idea is not being, I don't even know the words to use, but not being overly, It's easy to read a passage like this and, be, and become self-righteous, right? I've never dealt personally with this. By God's grace, I've never dealt with this. Yesterday, Lindsay and I celebrated our 11-year anniversary. Thanks. And I know some of, for some of you, you're like, 11 years, man, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. Um, and so it's easy for maybe someone like me, like I, and, and by the way, lest you think that, and, and I don't think you think this, I, hopefully I'm not coming across this way, lest you think there's any self-righteousness here, remember that last week I stood up here and, and really was transparent about my own personal struggle with lust and pornography over the, the, the years. And so lest, lest you think that I've got any kind of like self-righteous leg to stand on, I don't. I'm a recipient of the grace of God. And so it would be really easy to, to take a topic like this and to come, come hard and, and, and heap shame and heap all kinds of unnecessary things. But I think that one of the, the important things for us to approach this topic with is, is a positive view of what marriage is, what God's view of marriage is. And in Ephesians chapter 5, y'all, this is an astoundingly beautiful text. Look, look what it says. It um, says, in verse, starting in verse 28. We could start in verse 22, but we're gonna start in verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother And hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Guys, this is profound, as Paul says. This is profound. And so, I don't know at what point, but up to some point that there was a mystery to marriage from the beginning of time, from Genesis chapter two, when when God created marriage. By the way, that's an important, just fundamental truth. God created marriage, not man. Your marriage was ordained by God, not yourself. That's an important thing to to really come come to terms with. And so um, at some level, because Paul says this at some level for some period of time, the, 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 the marriage was a mystery. And Paul here teaches us and reveals to us what the mystery of marriage is. He says it's profound, first of all. But then what he says is, I am saying that marriage, the mystery of marriage refers to Christ and the church. That is an that is a an an understanding of marriage that the world does not have. That is an understanding of marriage that only the, the people of God see the full weight of. And so Paul connects this significance of marriage to Christ and the church. So let's get back to our text. I know that it feels, trust me, at least for me, it feels like I'm everywhere. But verse 32 of chapter five, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced wife commits adultery. The scriptures give two grounds or two permissions for divorce. Hang with me. The first grounds of divorce, Jesus says here, is sexual immorality. Um we're not gonna go super deep into this, but, but in the Greek, there is a word, starts with an M, like M-O-C-H or something. There's, there is a Greek word that, that specifically refers to adultery in the realm of sleeping with another person. So kind of when you think of adultery, that's what you think of, that a husband sleeps with another woman or a wife sleeps with another man. There is, a, there is a specific word that that means. That is not the word that Jesus uses here. The word that Jesus uses here is a word, a Greek word, porneia. Does that sound familiar? Porneia. And we're not going to get into all of the meanings because here's the deal. This is kind of where we get, this gets challenging. This is a extremely complex thing to understand. There's been a lot of debate and discussion around what all this includes and and, and all of these different things, but essentially what, the, the, what is believed, the consensus, why Jesus uses the word pornea instead of the, the, the word that would have um, confined this only to sleeping with another woman is because um, Jesus is, is referring to a host and a, and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a diversity of sexual sins and sins that, that deviate from the design of human sexuality that we referenced last week. And so pornography, lust, sleeping. That's why Jesus says what he says in the section before. If you've looked at a woman with lustful intent, you've committed adultery. So these two grounds or permissions for divorce are one, sexual immorality. The second one, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says the abandonment by an, an unbelieving spouse. So an unbelieving spouse leaves. Now, please catch this. What you just heard me say is that all right, I've got my two reasons why I can divorce. That's, that's how we do things, right? Um, I remember, this is, a, this is a time of honesty, right? I remember being a pre-married man, being engaged to my wife and, and kind of asking the question inside and even asking a few close friends like, how far is too far, right? How far is, I'm, I'm not trying to be crass or, or tacky. I'm really not. I'm trying to establish a point here. How far is too far? How far can I go? How far can I push this line and, and still be okay. And over the years became really convict retroactively. <laughs> I wish I would have been convicted by it then, but retroactively became convicted over this idea because I do in other areas too. We kind of ask the question, how far can I go and be okay? When what the question is, is that I am a human being created by God to glorify him. How should I glorify God in my life? Rather than asking this question, how far can I go and be okay? The question should be, how do I glorify God in my life? And so when we hear these two grounds of permissions, what happens in a lot of us is we start to think, these are the reasons why divorce. But this is what we have to catch. This is what we have to catch. The scriptures do not command divorce in these two cases. In no way do they command divorce. So Moses did not command divorce with his law on the certificate of divorce, nor does Jesus command divorce in the area of sexual immorality. Rather, you could say that he gives a a concession or a permission for it. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about what this looks like on the ground level. How does this apply and what are some, some applications? But let me say this first. What this idea that the scriptures do not command divorce but rather permits it Something that, 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 if I can just pastor us for just a minute, something I wanna say that I shared last week is this, and this is so painful for some people and so real, but it's true. I would say, objectively, it's true. God can heal your marriage after sexual immorality. And so we hear, okay, I have a permission or a grounds for divorce and sexual immorality. Can I just tell you this? God can, and has the ability, and wants to, <laughs> to heal your marriage after sexual after an act of sexual immorality, even if you are the one who has been the offended one. And we won't get into it today, but but the word also even counsels the offended one in how we as if you are a child of God, if you have received. The redeeming grace of God in your life. The Bible also counsels us how we are able to extend forgiveness even in the midst of the most egregious of circumstances. And so this is a hard thing to, to accept, a hard thing to swallow, a hard thing to under, understand, even. I have I have two friends um, who there was a, a case of adultery in their marriage. And, and, and I'm sure you all know people who are kind of in this same boat, but she was, she was the offended one and he was the, the unfaithful one. And I mean, the, the sin was exposed on a Wednesday afternoon and on Thursday night, they were at my house and almost instantaneously from the act of immorality, she said, I'm hanging in it, I'm here. We're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna work on this. God can heal this. Don't get me wrong. She was devastated. She was devastated. And she was, she was completely caught off guard. But from that moment, she said, God can heal this. And I'm here. And we're gonna do it. And I just, like, 15 months later, they are in a beautiful place. God has healed. God has restored. God has redeemed and so Jesus here again addresses what seems to have become the laxadaisical practice of divorce and remarriage. A man could decide to send his wife away and then just run on to the next marriage without no thought or conviction. But this kind of divorce being practiced may have, again, all but rendered a woman impoverished and disadvantaged, causing her to have to go find a new husband. And that Jesus says, when Jesus says here, But I say to you you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Imagine, was that fast? Okay. (laughs) Trust me, I'm more ready to get through this than you are, okay? (laughs) Um, What what Jesus is teaching here is that these Pharisees would have adopted this mentality of I've given her a divorce and I've sent her away. But what Jesus is saying is he's, he's almost heaping onto these religious leaders the, the the consequences of his sin. He says, you send your wife away, she's gotta, Jesus kind of acknowledges, she's gotta go get remarried in order to not to, to not live in, in complete devastation and poverty. And so he puts the the onus on these Pharisees by saying, you're causing your wife to commit adultery. And also the sin of the man who's marrying her in her second marriage, you're also guilty of his adultery. And so this is where some of this gets challenging and hard. It's like, a lot of us have questions. We're trying to figure out like, okay, was, was the divorce in my life justified? And, and, and please, let's have those conversations. We're not gonna quite get into that or address that. All say, but this is, I don't think that this is Jesus unlovingly piling on a woman in her distress. Can I just say that? I don't think that this is Jesus unlovingly piling on a woman in her distress. Remember who Jesus is kind of referencing here? The Pharisees. He's looking at them and saying, they are the unjust ones in this situation. And by the way, lest you feel like Jesus wants to shame you or that there's no redemption. I almost ended today, we don't have time. I almost ended today of just looking at all of the scenarios and situations throughout the scriptures that Jesus deals with people in sexual sins. The way that he deals with people in sexual sins is unlike anything that people had ever seen before. He comes in and the law says if a woman commits adultery to stone her, Jesus comes to an adulterous woman and says, sister, your daughter, your sins are forgiven go. He sets her free in this. And so Jesus is unraveling, exposing the massive ripple of sin that these religious leaders' actions led to. And Jesus is, is applying a specific teaching and ethic to a specific group who had adopted a very specific and sinful behavior in the area of the covenant of marriage. And so remember what Jesus is doing here in his sermon is giving us a definitive vision of what life is like in his kingdom and how things in his kingdom are to operate. He's doing that from Matthew chapter five, verse one. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's the blessed are, blessed are, for they shall, blessed are for they shall. This is the behavior of kingdom citizens. And so he is saying, in the kingdom of God, there is an an ethic of covenant and of marriage that goes all the way back to the garden. And so you wanna know what God's idea for marriage, for human sexuality is, look at the way that God has created. And so for those in this room today who have specific questions, let me just say, hey, we've got, we've got time for that. <laughs> Maybe not today. We've got time to, to walk with you. We've got time to, to, to comfort you. More on that in just a second. And we're not afraid of These questions, and these are really important things to discuss. So some things that we didn't really have time for today that I think are worthy conversations to have on a very practical level that I think we can counsel one another on in the family of God. Um, I'm not gonna spend too much time on this, but the idea of separation versus divorce. Are there times in a marriage where separation may be necessary? I think so. I think if you're in a dangerous situation, Or if you're in an abusive situation, separation is spending some time apart, and maybe I'm getting too deep into this already, but there's there's a conversation around divorce being a very final thing And, and the idea of marriage and the ideal of marriage being a permanent thing in the kingdom of God. Maybe the question is, what if I've been divorced and I'm remarried? Hey, that's a very common one. That's something that, that we've got time to address. We've got grace in addressing and we've got, we've got patience in, but I, here's where I do wanna land. We're not gonna address all those things. I want to land on giving us a few things that we can definitely learn from Christ's teaching. I wanna, I wanna land where we, where, we, where we can stand firm on, okay? I wanna land where we can stand firm. Marriage and divorce, are not matters of minor significance, but eternal significance. Amen? Amen. Marriage and divorce are not matters of minor significance, but eternal significance. Whatever low views we have of marriage and whatever elevated or lackadaisical views we have of divorce, God's views are higher and they are deeper. God is not indifferent on these things. This text raises for us a lot of questions, like I said, honestly way more than we have time. So so a couple of more things to consider. The church, church family, we have a couple of things, we have a we have this twofold responsibility, okay? We have a twofold responsibility. The first of those is to comfort one another with love. Our role and our responsibility as the family of God is to comfort one another with love. Those who have been divorced, those who have been affected by divorce, the church is the place for you to be. <laughs> Isn't it a shame? Isn't it a shame the way that we have turned people away? Man, what a shame. Guys, and I, have a, I have a very traditional Christian orthodox view of marriage. It is a shame the way the church has treated homosexual people. It is a shame that this has become a place where they can't even walk in without us casting judgment. Hey, you, you want to know where, where, where people who have been affected by divorce, and I'm not trying to categorize anything or anybody, and so I'm referencing all these, but people with sexual sin of any kind, Jesus was a refuge for them. And so should the church be for those affected by these areas. And so we have this twofold responsibility to comfort one another with love, to walk with one another. There is forgiveness, there is grace, there is hope, and there's community found here. And if not, then Lord, just send fire, right? The the, The second part of our twofold responsibility is to walk with one another in truth to confront one another in truth and to say this is what God's word has to say. And so what can we do in light of that twofold responsibility? We, would, we will submit ourselves fully to the word of God. We just, like, text and topics like this show us how challenging it can be to submit ourselves fully to the word of God. And let me be clear, it's costly to do that. It's, it's really costly to, to just start with the, with the the firm footing and foundation of, I'm going to submit myself to what the word of God has to say. I may not understand all of it, but I'm going to seek understanding and when and if God reveals to me what it is that he means by this, I'm gonna say your way is the best. And that's costly. By the way, Jesus addresses that. You will give things up, but giving ourselves the authority of God's word rather than the whims and the waves of our own limitations and opinions is actually a good thing. Man, it's a good and freeing thing. Psalm 16 says that, that the the boundary lines have been set in pleasant places. The the, the areas that God has set in his boundary are pleasant for us. To To a sinful world, which we've all been part of, the boundaries that God has set feel restrictive, don't they? But man, when you get into the ways and the paths of God, man, they are pleasant. And so allowing God to address and confront what needs to be addressed and confronted is something that we must do. We must come to him and say, God, look, I'm, I am wrong. I am a sinner. I, am, I, do have, I do have places that need to be addressed in his life. But can I just tell you that, that when you come to him with a full acknowledgement of your sin, you don't have to understand everything, and then you fall in love with the grace and the redemption that he is able to provide. Man, it is is an opportunity and a moment of extreme freedom and breakthrough. Man, what a moment. When we can come to a Savior, an acknowledgement of our sin, realizing that we are sinners and that we need grace and that we have a, a Savior who has died and was raised for us, What a moment of freedom that we then experience. And so we start here, agreement with God. We agree with God. I think that's part of what repentance is and is what results in hope in the midst of turmoil, that we agree with God about what he declares, that we agree with him. Trust me, I have attempted many times this week to find a way to skirt around and explain away what Jesus really seems to be saying here. And, and I don't think we even scratched the surface by the way, because we've still got questions, don't we? And that's an okay place to be, okay? We've still got questions. But view what Jesus says in this text today in light of the gospel. God can redeem and does redeem even divorce. Hey, Romans eight does not contradict what this says. And this doesn't contradict what Romans 8 says. Can we go there real quick? And then, and then we'll be done. Romans 8. Would someone really boldly and loudly read only verse 1? no those who are Hey, that's good news. That's good news. Man, you feel like you've got all your questions and you've got, man, is is what I did wrong? Maybe, but can I just tell you this? If you're a child of God, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And can I tell you that Romans 8, Romans 8 is just glorious. By the end of it, Paul's saying, man, there is nothing, nothing, nothing in all of this world that can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus. And man, God can restore and He can redeem. Somebody shouted out, "If you remember where it's at, but is it, is it Ezekiel that uh, God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten? Where's it at? Somebody, man, we need we need some Bible study in here. Was it? It's not. It's not Ezekiel, but I don't know where. Else. It's in the Bible. And it's not necessarily in context of marriage and divorce either, but it's a principle that God can and will redeem the years that the locusts have eaten. Man, think about the drought. Think about the the devastation of a drought where the locust comes in and they just find anything that even has any remnant of life and they just take it all away. And yet the scriptures say that God can redeem and restore Those years that the locusts have just sucked the life out of anything left. And so there is, church family, there is nothing, 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 nothing that can separate you from the love of God because of what Christ has done for us. Okay? Hey, we comfort one another. We confront one another in truth. We love one another. We show lots of grace. Guys, the name of our church is Grace Harbor. I didn't know what in the world that meant when we named it that, but I think I know what it means now. That we are a harbor of grace. You know what a harbor does, right? Protects a beaten up ship. A a beaten up, cast down ship can pull into the harbor for some TLC. And we are that, unashamedly, because that's what Christ is. He is our harbor of grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you that uh, you are faithful to us, um, even when we are <clears throat> faithless. Um, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for redeeming and restoring that which feels hopeless, that which feels broken. Um, thank you for, for being, for us, a father who welcomes and loves his children. Lord, thank you for this church. I pray today that we'd give more, we'd give more hugs and compliments than, than we ever have before. Just being a place that, that people here and people even outside will see, hey, there's something different about this place. There's something different about those people. And not because it's all about Grace Harbor Church, but because it's about the gospel. And because your word tells us that the way that the world knows that we belong to Jesus is the way that we love one another. So help us in this area, Lord. Um, we praise you and we, we rest in your grace this morning. Praise things in your name, amen.